Welcome to Keep 100 Radio. I'm your host, Lissy Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including lessons we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from experts I trust inside the community so you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep 100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Descom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements, and resorting to finger parts. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out SkinGrip at SkinGrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, at checkout. What is up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of Keep 100 Radio. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome back if you've joined us before, and welcome if you are new to the podcast. I'm so excited that you're jumping into this episode because we are going to clear up a lot of confusion today. There is so much information on the internet, which is like, let's be honest, it's a beautiful thing. We get to connect with people online. We get to do research online, but it can get pretty overwhelming. So in this episode, I am going to kind of take you through two sides of the learning process that I went through. So one being what I thought would help me lower my blood sugars and lower my A1C and keep my blood sugars in control. And then versus two, what actually helped me lower my A1C and keep my blood sugar control. So you'll kind of see that a lot of the things that I tried in the first few years of my diagnosis, which if you haven't listened to the other episodes yet, I was diagnosed when I was 19, so it was it was a little bit later in my life and I had a little bit more of a learning curve. I think we all do, so let's be honest there. Um, but, you know, being that I was a little bit older, it was kind of more in my hands. I didn't have a pediatric endo. I didn't really have my parents there to like facilitate that learning experience or that learning curve. So a lot of it was kind of left to my own research. It was left to conversations that I had with my adult endo at school, so not even my own physician that I had at home. So it kind of led me to have a lot of confusion around what to actually do with this diagnosis. As we're told, you know, as we know versus what we're told, like diabetes is so much more than just taking your insulin and counting your carbs. So it can get pretty conflicting when we're kind of trying to live our life again and go through this transition And we realize, wait, this actually involves so much more than I was originally taught. And when you're left to learn that on your own or to kind of figure it out on your own, it can get pretty messy. And it took me a few years to actually be able to navigate this. And that's why I want to create this episode, because if you're somebody who has been diagnosed in the past year or two, or just somebody who has kind of remained complacent with the whole concept of count your carbs and take your insulin and you know that there is more to this diagnosis, then this episode will definitely help you be able to accelerate through these misconceptions and help you get to a better starting place and a better kind of roadmap for success. So I'm really, really excited for this episode. So like I mentioned, I'm going to take you through one, what I thought would help my blood sugars and my A1C and my overall control, why it didn't work, and then I'm going to take you into what actually did work and what has helped me bring my A1C from a 7.1 down to a 5.7 
in less than a year and um, kind of keep it there. So over the past two years, I've been pretty consistent in having an A1C below six. I believe I had one that was a 6.1. Um, but overall, keeping it on a lower end than I've ever had before, all while being able to um, kind of have that food freedom, food flexibility, um, and not feel so, not feel as restricted as I used to in my life. Okay, so thing number one that I thought would help me control my blood sugars. This is something that I was told by all of my physicians, at almost every website on Google, in all of the books, including Dr. Bernstein's Solution to Diabetes, and honestly, I wish I never bought into it, but this is that restricting carbs or lowering my carb intake will help me control my blood sugars. Now, let me preface this by saying that if you are somebody who does a low-carb diet and you enjoy it and it's your preference and it works for you, that is totally and 100% completely fine. However, it did not work for me. If anything, it like tore my relationship with food because I was somebody who grew up as a gymnast. I was a competitive gymnast for about 10 years and I was always taught that carbs are energy and your body needs carbs and the day before meets and competitions, like that's what you did. You ate a bunch of pasta and you made sure that you had enough energy to go into that, uh, that competition. So going from that mindset growing up to now okay, you have to lower your carb intake and, you know, try to avoid carbs as much as possible. This was something that was really damaging for me and it felt really restrictive. So I was diagnosed when I was 19. So I would go uh, into the food court at, you know, at, at my university and I would look around at all of the food that was available and I would try to make the best choices for myself. But honestly, at that point in time, I barely even knew what a carb was. I knew that pasta had carbs, I knew that bread had carbs, but I had no idea where this came to play with other foods. And I remember asking my friend who was going to school for dietetics, like, what is the right amount of carbs to eat? Like, what should I look for? And she was a freshman at that point too. And she looked at me right in the eye and she said, Lissy, I have no idea. <laughs> so I felt confused because nobody could really give me the answers. Nobody could tell me what I could eat versus what I couldn't eat. And it all felt really, really conflicting. So when it came to like mealtimes, so going to breakfast and lunch and dinner, I basically said, screw this. I'm going to try to eat as little as possible or skip meals if I have to because this doesn't feel worth it to go through this mental gymnastics just to try and figure out what I can eat. So it did a lot of damage to my perception of food. It made me feel really restricted and then it made the cravings come back even stronger. And like this just really tore up my relationship with diabetes. Not that it really started on a strong foot, but it made me resent it and it made me resent my body because I felt like I had this inner narrative that my body turned on me. And I feel like we all kind of do when things like this happen because we feel betrayed. We feel like we lose all the trust in our own body and it can make us feel a lot of resentment moving forward in in you know how we take care of our bodies and how we feel about our bodies. So that was one of the very first things that I was told and it just overall had a really really damaging effect on on me, on my body and my my perception of food. So 
one thing over the years, especially that I learned in the Institute Institute for Integrative Nutrition, was more so about nutritional pairing. And again, to preface, I am not a registered dietitian. This episode is not here to tell you what to eat, how to eat, and so on. Um, I just want to let you know like what worked for me, and this is what something that worked for me. So instead of avoiding carbs, I more so learned how to balance my meals appropriately that allowed me to feel full, allowed me to have more energy because I had zero energy when I was avoiding food, (laughs) and it allowed me to understand how to balance my blood sugars and how to pair that up with my insulin timing so that I didn't see these crazy high and low spikes. So this was something that like was exciting because I was like, oh, I can eat these foods and it can work for my blood sugars and I don't have to feel scared anymore of these of the meals that I want to eat. So when we talk about nutritional pairing and Jess, our registered dietitian, talks a lot about it inside of our program TP100, um, our hybrid coaching program for type 1 diabetics, but it's essentially pairing your carbs protein, fat, and fiber in a strategic way um, and in a way that, again, allows you to have that energy and allows you to feel full. So this was this was something that felt so revolutionary because to me, I'm, I'm learning about this and I'm like, why did I never learn about this before? Why is this something that my physicians aren't telling me about? Something that the dietitians aren't telling me about at my doctor's office or that Google isn't telling me to do. Instead, I'm being told to cut your carbs and that's about it. So this whole concept just allowed me to repair that relationship with food. It allowed me to feel strong. It allowed me to gain my weight back. And it just overall was something that was so so empowering as a diabetic because no longer I didn't have to like worry about food anymore I didn't have to fear it and that kind of leads me into the second thing that I had seen a lot on the internet that I thought would help my blood sugars and that is the concept of these like detoxes and cleanses and resects uh like you know those like juice cleanses and these things that are telling you like okay if you do this you can basically reset your blood sugars or like make your insulin sensitivity better and I don't even know the purpose behind them but I remember becoming type 1 diabetic and seeing this a lot on online. This was something that I'm glad I honestly didn't buy into so I never bought anything that that was a detox um, but I considered it because I was seeing all these other people doing it and it looked like it was good for their blood sugars but in reality it was just basically them kind of starving themselves and like proving that their basal rates are on point if we're being honest um but you know looking back and seeing that information online like i'm i'm looking back and i'm thinking this is such a short-term solution this is not how we work with our blood sugars forever this is not how we control our blood sugars forever and it's truly just such a like a black and white mentality of of okay eat this so this is an on-limits food and this is an off-limits food or you can eat this and you can't eat this for this amount of time and that is something that if I had done a detox or if I had done a cleanse or like a reset I would have failed and then I would have had that mentality in my head of you failed and that's an inner dialogue that is so so hard to get out of. So what I learned about instead that actually helped me balance my blood sugars and helped me have more energy and helped me improve my insulin sensitivity, which was 
the entire goal, all of these goals of these detoxes was actually working with my hormones. So um, I learned all about, you know, stress hormones, about, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, all these different things that are are happening in our body when we have these fight or flight responses or when we're sick or when we don't have we're not getting enough sleep or we're not eating enough or when we're exercising too much and I learned the impact that that has on our bodies and this is something that really hit me hard when I was diagnosed with Crohn's because that's an inflammatory disease so here I am you know 22 or 23 years old thinking that hey I'm I'm eating right for my blood sugars, I'm trying to manage my blood sugars as much as I can, but I'm not, I wasn't considering all of those outside factors and all of the stress that I was actually putting on my body, not only through all of my four years in college, but then as I was getting into my adult career. So this was huge because not only did I, like in working with these and in navigating these different areas of like things that impact my hormones, so all of these kind of external stressors that are acting on my body, I was able to Im- improve my insulin sensitivity. My my blood sugars kind of naturally found a new middle ground and a new balance, which is really cool because I like I was living in the two and three hundreds. So to see that gradually come down and my body come back into this slow balance and me have more energy just felt so good. And not only did that happen, but I actually went into remission of my Crohn's. I'm still in remission after. We're going on three years, which is, thank God, thank God, Crohn's sucks, diabetes sucks, but so does Crohn's. Um, so that was another really amazing thing. And inside of our program, Keep You 100, we actually have a women's wellness coach. Her name is Val. She's been through Keep You 100. She's absolutely incredible. But she works with all of our clients, not only on those external stressors I was talking about and how they impact your hormones, but she works through you with uh working with your cycle and navigating your cycle and what your body needs in different parts of your parts of your cycle week to week and how you can meet that with the different foods that you're eating and and the different nutrition that you're getting um and how we kind of treat our body in each week so it's really really empowering to work with your body and that's something that i never thought that i would be able to do when i was first diagnosed so looking back now like seven years later and being like wow like i'm no longer fighting my own body it just feels so so good which leads me into number three so Another thing that I was di- I was told a lot when I was diagnosed or even like a few years later was like, all you really have to do when you eat is pre-bolus. Like just take your insulin sooner and that'll be fine. That'll that'll help. Which I'm not doubting the power of the pre-bolus. Pre-bolusing can be really powerful depending on what you eat. But what was conflicting here to me was that like just do it mentality of just pre-bolus. And when you're out at a restaurant where you're really, really hungry, it can be really, really hard to just pre <laughs> It's really hard to take 15 minutes and not eat. Um, but that's kind of besides the point. What I noticed here was, you know, in like I, I found that with my own body and my own trends was that a pre doesn't always work. It depends on what you're eating. It depends on the glycemic index. It depends on how your own body digests. So I felt like this was a really, it was a very oversimplified solution to the high blood sugars that I was experiencing. And what I was able to shift that to now 
has actually been reverse engineering my decision-making process. And this is another thing that we take our clients through inside of our program. And that's, okay, what questions are you asking yourself? So first of all, how are we carb counting our meal? What macronutrients are we paying attention to? What questions are we asking when we get to the, the bolusing decision? Are we asking ourselves, like, how much we're going to eat? Are we asking ourselves, um, what ma- like, again, what macronutrients are in there? Are we at, like, what questions are coming up as we're going through that decision-making process? And what's really cool here is once we start kind of tracking that decision-making process, we get to reverse engineer it. So this can take your decision-making process from that simple, okay, counting my carbs, using my insulin to carb ratio, and it can shift that into, okay, counting my my macros, so paying attention to carbs, protein, fat, and fiber, considering my activity, like how insulin sensitive I am, considering what phase of my cycle I'm in or what kind of stress I'm undergoing today, um, and using that to come up with a bolus decision, not only for the dose, but for the timing of that dose. It helps you understand if you need an extended bolus, if you need a pre-bolus, if you just need an upfront bolus. It helps you look into the future of your day and say, okay, am I going to be active later? How much like will this affect me over the next few hours? So I was able to take that really oversimplified solution and kind of branch it out into something that would actually help me in all scenarios, whether I was just eating at home, I was eating at a restaurant or out like in the holidays at like a buffet or with family, whatever it was, that was something that can now help me and support me in any time of day. So that was really, really powerful. Number four, let's see, moving on to number four. (sighs) Gosh, (laughs) The one thing that I really, really thought would help me that didn't was simply relying on my endo. So when I was first diagnosed, the first few years, I would basically show up at my endo's office, sit in her office for 20 minutes, have some dose changes, like she would change my basils or change my carb ratios, and that'd be kind of it. So if anything came up, any new patterns or any new trends, I would just kind of wait the next 90 days and come back to her and say, okay, I'm having a high uh, at this time. And then she would add a new basal rate. And it worked for a while. You know, it did its job. It served its purpose. But it didn't really, it wasn't a full-term solution. And an interesting fact that I had just learned about um, through, I believe, I have to find the correct resource here, but a statistic that I learned is that only is that 43% of diabetics rely on their endo for interventions as far as basal adjustments or dosing adjustments or just like overall changes in general, which is fine if your endo is very hands-on, but it didn't really work for me because I didn't want to go three months of not knowing how to make changes or not knowing what that meant for my body just for it to be kind of like not brushed off but like having this uh blanket solution of changing your dose and that was it instead 
what I was able to do now, like what actually helped is actually being able to go through and assess my baselines. So we call it assessing baselines because we're actually going through the different foundations of our management and we're finding the actual culprit for what's going on, for what's contributing to a trend and what's contributing to a pattern. So when we're looking at our baselines, we're looking at our basal rates as step one, step two is our insulin carb ratios, Step three is our correction factor, and step four is our behaviorals, behavioral baselines, behavioral um, habits, everyday things. And what that allowed me to do was, one, understand if my basal rates were actually accurate. It was, I was able to add different basal rates for different parts of the day. It allowed me to see how my basal rates changed during my cycle, season to season, day to day, and it allowed me to make changes based off of what I noticed was happening with my own body. So when I start seeing these different patterns, like, okay, I'm experiencing more nighttime highs, I know exactly what tests to run. I know exactly what to kind of look at because if our baselines aren't strong, if our, our basal rate, if we're overcompensating for our basal rates through our carb ratios and then we're overcompensating for our carb ratios through like exercise or correcting or treating, the whole thing, the whole cycle becomes such a mess. So doing things like looking at my data once a week, so looking at my clarity reports from my Dutscom or going through that decision-making process like I was talking about earlier, it allowed me to actually take ownership over what was happening with my body and my entire diabetes management. So now what I do is I go into my endo appointment, I have a list of questions, I have a list of data to back up my questions, and essentially all she needs to do is say, yes, okay, let's make a basal rate change here, or let's make a change to your carb ratios, and not only does that make her life so much easier, but it gives me complete ownership and such an empowering feeling when I'm walking into those endo appointments. I used to walk in with a lot of anxiety. I used to feel like I was getting a report card every time I went, and now it just feels so relieving walking into those appointments knowing that I'm in control, I'm in the driver's seat, and I have somebody there who can support me in these decisions and support me in these adjustments, but I have I have the wheel. I'm, you know, I'm in the driver's seat. All right, number five. The fifth thing that I thought would help my blood sugars that actually hurt my blood sugars was simply exercising every day. So I think this whole concept comes from the stigma of between, like the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, which first of all, I hate that stigma because nobody asks for diabetes no matter if you're type 1 or type 2. And just because you're type 2 doesn't mean that it's a lifestyle thing. People can still be insulin dependent. Anyway, small tangent. So I was told when I was diagnosed, like, okay, just exercise every day. It'll bring your blood sugars down. It'll help you manage. Um, and that was just kind of the thing that I accepted, which now looking back, of course, I, I see it's a part of diet culture. It's a part of the stigma. And it's not something that people really, uh, it, it's not something that I was told that would actually help me. So let's talk about it. Yes, exercise can improve your insulin sensitivity. It can support your blood sugars. It can bring your blood sugars down uh, when you need it. It's a very powerful tool. However, it's not the only tool and we need to use it in the right ways. So if I'm somebody who is exercising every day, I'm lifting weights or I'm going running, that can actually add on stress to an already stressed body, especially when we're considering things like lacking sleep or 
having high blood sugars all, all day or having stressful par parts of our career, like it's not always the appropriate thing to do. So instead, what I learned the actual culprit was or the actual solution was, was reducing that stress. So if I'm adding stress onto an already stressed body by working out every single day, it's not getting me anywhere. It's gonna, my body's just gonna like, it's fighting fire with fire. I'm gonna end up more resistant than I was. Whereas instead, I can navigate the stress cycle and find the true culprit of what's adding that stress onto my body. So yes, movement can support this, but maybe I need some low-intensity movement instead of a high-intensity workout. I might not need CrossFit all the time. I might not need the HIIT workout all the time. Instead, maybe my body needs some yoga. Maybe it needs a light walk. Maybe I just need to go and play fetch with my dog in the backyard. Or maybe movement is th isn't the right solution at all. My body actually might need more rest. So I might need more sleep. I might need a better quality of sleep. I might need to hydrate more. I might need to give my body less processed foods. I might need to... thinking of all the things here. <laughs> but all to say, there are other things that can actually work more in your favor and help your insulin sensitivity or help your blood sugars more than just moving your body. There's a time and a place for movement, and I'm saying this as a certified personal trainer, so I should think, you know, hypothetically, quote-unquote, I should think that you need to move your body or exercise every day, but it's not always the solution, so leaving you off that one with that. All right, and the very last thing that I was told would help my blood sugars is, I think we all have heard it, is avoiding variability. So it's always told the less variability you have in your life, the less variability you have in your blood sugars. So that meant avoiding variability in my food. So trying to eat the same things every day, same time every day, not letting my portions change, anything like that. I was told to try and like not travel a lot, try and reduce the, uh, like try and have a specific structure to my day, work out at the same time every single day, have a snack before bed. Everything had to be super regimented. And that sucked. <laughs> I'm somebody who likes to go with the flow. Um, I like structure, but I can't have too much structure. I'm definitely not going to set an alarm to, to eat my meal every day. I'll eat when I'm hungry. So that did not fly with me. And I tried it for a while. And again, it kind of going back to that restrictive mentality, it just made me feel awful. And it made me feel so bad about this diagnosis. So what I've come to realize the actual solution is and can be is welcoming more flexibility. And I know what you're kind of saying, like, or thinking, like, maybe that's a little counterintuitive because wouldn't you then see the blood sugar spikes and drops come with it? Hypothetically, that's what you would think. But we can do this in such a strategic way. We can allow ourselves to have more flexibility and be in different scenarios and situations on a day-to-day -day basis while keeping things that keep us grounded, keeping things that are our blood sugar supporting habits. So something that we do inside of Keep You 100 is we actually help our clients come up with habit anchors. So these are things that you can use on a day-to-day -day basis that it doesn't matter what time it is, it doesn't matter where you are. There are things that are kind of set in your schedule that can allow you to find that consistency in your day-to-day. -day. So let's just say for me, my habit anchor is that every day I brush my teeth because hopefully every day I'm brushing my teeth. And when I brush my teeth, I pre-bowls for breakfast. 
And this can be something that I do whether I'm on vacation or whether I'm at home or whether it's a holiday or really whatever the situation is. But it allows me that flexibility of saying, okay, I can be out of my house. I don't have to eat the same thing for breakfast every day. All I need to do is keep that one habit and it can help me. So we can actually allow ourselves to have more moments of this flexibility and welcome in more moments. I always love using that be- that term of welcoming in more moments because then we feel more empowered that we can do more things with diabetes. We feel less restricted. We feel like we can take on any scenario with diabetes and we feel like we can do it intentionally and strategically. While there's a whole laundry list of different ways that you can do this and incorporate that, find that predictability while welcoming that flexibility, I just want to leave you off with knowing that it is 100% completely possible and you don't have to have an alarm set for every bolus. You don't have to have the same meal every day. Like Things do not have to be regimented and you do not need to avoid variability in every which way or form. All right, that is today's episode. Those are the six things that I thought would help me in my management, but actually completely... did not work and versus the things that did work and that helped me build a positive relationship with diabetes and that helped me lower my a1c from a 7.1 to a 5.7 if you enjoyed this episode please take a screenshot of whatever listening platform you're looking on you're listening on and upload it to instagram facebook wherever you are and tag me so that i know what content to keep creating and i know what your biggest takeaway is All right, thank you so much for joining and we can't wait to see you inside the next episode.